636, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There is a primary election today, and as a matter of fact, I voted. I've got the I voted sticker. I stopped off on the way to work. I Hondo says I went early. Well, I just want to remember to do it. There is only at least at least where I live, there is only one there's only one statewide election and there was only one election on the ballot today. I was number I was number thirty, but that could be misleading because there might have been early votes that they you never know when they run them through the machine. So I, I don't actually know how many people had shown up. Um, let, let me say this: the, the three poll workers were glad to have company <laughs> when, I, when I showed. I I showed up about oh I don't know seven thirty ish or so, and I I did vote. People, this is a um, I, I voted I, I voted for Lowell Holtz. You know, you just heard heard the ad there. I think he's the only conservative that is running in the race. So this is years and years ago. The state superintendent uh, of, of of schools that 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 there is perhaps more power now it's pretty much of a figurehead thing that that's just the reality of what goes on and you know people say what does the state superintendent of schools do and i mean there is some input into guidelines and so, but essentially he, he goes around and and talks to teachers and talks to schools and things like that it's it's not from a policy making perspective uh the legislature now is what drives things but um it's been occupied it is the one statewide office we have that's held by a liberal and it's been held by a liberal pretty much you know forever so um i say i think it's mostly a figurehead position but nevertheless this is one of those days that if you really want to have an opportunity to have an impact um this is going to be trust me an extremely low turnout primary because like i say who knows how many people are, are going to end up voting but probably not a lot so if you're thinking about it you're going past the polling place um stop off and cast a vote in addition um in many local communities there, there may very well be contested primaries for things like school board or such like that maybe some judges i i don't i don't know um no no contested nothing contested though on my ballot the only thing was the statewide election all right. Yesterday we we sort of rolled out what is this? It's kind of be, not going to be necessarily a new feature on the program, but it's going to be a, an observation that, that drives so many things. I was telling a story. A friend of mine was discussing the fact that, as a friend who's an, an emergency room nurse in Texas, and seven out of ten people who present in the emergency room in Texas. There is a five-word phrase that they utter right before whatever happens that gets them in the emergency room happens. That five-word phrase is, hold my beer, watch this, <laughs> you know, which I think says it all. And one of the classic examples of that was the guy up in Sturgeon Bay who <laughs> took his Cadillac Escalade out onto Lake Michigan to tow his ice shanty off the lake on Saturday. Now... We have had a mild winter. I know there was that one stretch for a few weeks where it was pretty bad, but we have had a very, very mild winter. Right now, we are looking at a stretch of record high temperatures. And candidly, while I feel bad about the polar bears in Alaska or, you know, in the Arctic Circle, I I, I will take 50 degrees in February in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I'm I'm sorry if that makes me sound like this awful person, but I I will take that. But the bottom line is, you, you know, you look at the ice all around here, and you recognize that this is probably not not really safe. So here you have this guy on Saturday who decides that he's going to, he wants to get his ice shanty off the lake because he's concerned that the ice is melting so fast that, you know, he better get the ice shanty off. So you're, let me, I'm reviewing the bidding here. You're worried that the ice isn't firm enough to hold up the ice shanty. So what do you do? 
you drive your Cadillac Escalade onto the ice that you are worried isn't firm enough to hold your ice shanty, and you try to tie it and pull it off. Now, we, we had the video of this, and it doesn't get very far. He hooks up the car. The car starts driving. Boom, in goes in. He's now giving interviews. The guy's name is Dan Hill. He's from Algoma. The way Channel 4 reports it is he learned the hard way while trying to tow his ice shanty off the lake in Sturgeon Bay that there's thin ice on Lake Michigan. Now, I do not have an ice shanty on Sturgeon Bay, but I have to tell you, the idea that there's really thin ice on Lake Michigan should come as no surprise. Here's what he says to Channel 4. I was driving on the ice, and as soon as, and as, soon as I went through, the water came right up to the mirrors of the car. It dropped fast. Luckily, I was taught not to wear my seatbelt and keep the driver's side window open in case of this, like in case, you're, in case you sink your car on the ice. I had the window open, so I bailed right away, and I pulled myself out of the car to safety. Then I watched the car sink fast. It could have been really bad. <laughs> okay, what you could have been, I appreciate it. It could have been really bad because you could have been in the car. I get that. But I don't know. It could have been really bad. Yes, watching your Cadillac Escalade go down. Um, story says Hill is lucky to be alive. His Cadillac Escalade truck is a total loss. It was only a year old. It cost him close to $8,000 to get it out from under the water. Okay. Who in their right mind, seriously, drives a Cadillac Escalade onto that kind of thin ice? Um, all right. Then the guy goes on to say, my poor girl, Janice. He named his truck after Janice Joplin. <laughs> and boy, does it look rough now. A headlight cracked when it hit the ice. Mud is everywhere, and some of Lake Michigan is still in the glove box. In 45 years of ice fishing, that has never happened before. Because of the conditions outside getting warmer, I knew I should get my shanty off the ice. That's all I was trying to do. So he decides, I'm going to drive my SUV onto the thin ice. Huh. All it takes is one time, he says, ice doesn't give a warning. No, ice doesn't give a warning, but the meteorologists do. <laughs> when you, it's 50 degrees outside, it's been that way for days. Um, maybe, 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 maybe you just want to think about that. But in any event, um, I'm glad the guy is alive. Sorry the truck is a complete and total loss. But another candidate for the hold my beer, watch this idea. I'm going to drive my Escalade onto the thin ice. Coming up next, three big things. We start off with the Trump protest du jour. Are they jumping the shark? Stick around. 843, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Wisconsin's home to many iconic drinks and dishes, one of them being Kringle. WTMJ's John McCure takes you inside one of the Wisconsin's most iconic Kringle bakeries. It's in the Features tab of the WTMJ mobile app. Hey, by the way, check that out. Um, you can download the podcast of this show, which lots of you are doing, and I appreciate that, as well as a number of other podcasts. Greg Matzik, Sports Central is up there. But also, we podcast a number of voices, a number of interesting podcasts that uh, are voices and people you don't hear on, on the radio. Um, a lot of sports-related and some other relate, interesting ones as well. So check them out. It's uh, WTMJ.com. You go to the mobile app page. You see all you need to see. Okay. Uh, it, it seems like... Ever since Donald Trump won the election, there has been a, a protest du jour. We're going to have the women's march. We're going to have this march. We're going to have that march. But from people who decide they're going to take to the streets, you know, day after day after day. 
And at some point in time, you, you have to wonder whether these protests are, are jumping the shark. Yesterday was, of course, President's Day. So this was an opportunity for a lot of the usual suspects to decide, that, okay, we're, we're going to stage uh, another protest. Okay, last week it was the day without immigrants protest. This week it's going to be the not my President's Day. So you had in Milwaukee a few hundred people, again, a lot of the usual suspects who gathered to say, he's not my president. Well, I mean, he is your president. You might not like the fact that he's your president, but he is your president. But they took to the streets, and, you know, there was a demonstration in Milwaukee, which was kind of smallish, but still there were a couple hundred people there, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Denver, all those type of things, you know, people protesting. The fact that, you know, Donald Trump is, is in fact, the president and protesting, you know, the first six weeks that he has been in office. One of the things that really has struck me since Trump was elected is that these constant protests, I believe, are, are getting to the point, actually they're past the point, of, of being where they're now counterproductive. I think that there's a lot of people out there that just kind of look at these things and say, Ho-hum, you know, don't these people have lives? Don't these people have, have jobs? Don't these people have stuff to do? And can't you give the guy a, a chance? I also think that they are counterproductive to the extent that there's a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump or were kind of neutral in the election, people who, you know, might have been put off by some of the stuff that Trump did or said, but still resent this kind of in-your-face attitude by the, the protesters that if you support Donald Trump, if you support some of the policies of Donald Trump, if you want to give Donald Trump a chance, this attitude that you're homophobic, that you're racist, that you're misogynistic, that you're stupid, that you know, you're anti-immigrant, that you hate people of different religions, this kind of moral superiority, that you get from some of these activists that seem to think that reasonable people, reasonable people can't say, you know, we want to give Donald Trump a chance. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Big thing number one, have the Trump protests jumped the shark? When you turn on the TV set to watch the 10 o'clock news, for those of you who still watch the 10 o'clock news, and you see, okay, another day, Another protest is your reaction. Boy, I'm really glad that people are taking to the streets. They're going to influence policy. Or is it, man, these people really need to get a life. And if you want to work to change things, just walking through the streets, holding signs is not the way to do it. Have the Trump protests jumped the shark? Are you tired of them? Are you tired of seeing them? And are they perhaps counterproductive? Because I believe they are turning off people who, again, might be not necessarily on board with everything that the new president is doing, might be put off by some of the ways the president is going about things. But at the same time, um, I've just had enough. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 851. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Have we jumped the shark with the protests? It's 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, yesterday there was the Trump protest du jour. Last week it was a day without immigrants. Yesterday it was not my President's Day. Ho, ho, hum. 
Pete in Racine. Pete, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. How are you doing this morning? I'm, I'm well. I mean, are, are these protests, have, have they lost their, their edge now? I mean, is, is enough enough? Well, yeah, yes, number one. And I said, being in Wisconsin six years ago, I've seen this page go on before. I'd give them a nickel if it'd give them a life. But, <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, Don't these people work? I mean, yeah, that's, that's the exactly thing. It's like what I've been <laughs> thinking. It's like, my God, to go out there and sit there and protest. I actually have to go to work. And just by protesting absolutely everything he does, I mean, absolutely right. everything, it means nobody's really going to listen anymore. I mean, you really can't, well, I mean, I guess people who really hate the guy will think no matter what he does, it's going right. to be bad. Well, he see, cure and, every disease in the world, they'll still find something bad about it. Well, it is, Pete. You know, that's the interesting point. Unlike, unlike in the 60s, for example, where the protests were united around, we, we want to stop the Vietnam War, or, or you know, right. this this is not that. This is... You've got every ragtag group that, that's out there with all these different, you know, weird causes, you know, one after another who kind of come together. And the only unifying thing is we've got our own agenda, but, you know, we don't like Donald Trump. So what's the ultimate message? I mean, just, okay, we don't like Trump. All right, get over it. He won the election. The thing, the problem for them, though, hatred isn't going to be something that inspires people to right. differently. And I'm with you as, like, I was kind of thinking the more they keep doing this, oh, much yeah. like with Scott Walker got yep. reelected. Trump will get eight years rather than four. I, I mean, I see. I think that's an interesting point because, again, there are people. I am one of them. You know, I am one of them who I, I was giving an interview yesterday for a magazine, and I was saying, "Look, I, I'm kind of, I'm sort of a la carte when it comes to Trump. I mean, when he does stuff that I think is wrong, um, I, I feel comfortable calling him out. But at the same time, I, when he has, you know, when some of his policies come out and I agree with them, I'm gonna, I'm going to support him. But I also want to give the guy a chance because I want the United States to succeed. But this sort of mindless protest that's out there, and again, it's the, it's the same sus- suspects. I mean, my guess is if you looked at a lot of people that sh- showed up for, you know, the day without immigrants, it would be the people that showed up last night. It's sort of the same people that are out there over and over again. But I do think that there is this silent majority out there who just says kind of enough is enough. And I think you're right, Pete. There is a parallel to what went on with Act 10 where you might have had some people who might not have been completely on board with everything that Walker was doing, but just ended up getting turned off by the the whole thing and didn't want to be part of that group. So... That, that, that group that's okay storming the, the capital. This this I think is close to that, if not already there. Bill in Wauwatosa. Bill, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. <clears throat> I uh, I was thinking about this Trump business as you were talking about. It. Um, I think it's foolish. Uh, they're not accomplishing anything. Uh, they're protesting just to protest. Yep. Uh, you, you said it over and over. Um, the thing that really kind of irks me is, gee, if he's doing such a bad job, then why is the economy doing so well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, right. And, and you want to give the guy a chance, if nothing else. And because, yeah, I mean, all of us should want the country to succeed. But, you know, Donald Trump, for a lot of reasons, especially because people didn't think he was going to win, and I acknowledge because of a lot of his personal. Uh, some of the, the personal attributes and the way he's approached things. There's some people who just never want to give the guy a chance. No, thanks for the call. But at, at the same time, we are Americans. We want the country to succeed. Do people have a right to protest? Of course people have a right to protest. Nobody's arguing about that. But at some point in time, if you don't end up focusing on what you're trying to accomplish, and, and I, I look at these different protests and I see all the different signs, and you've got, there, there isn't a unified theme. It's not like, 
we're protesting because of this or that or the other thing. It's just we're protesting everything, and as a result, you end up protesting nothing. So, all right, I don't know what the protest du jour is going to be later this week. Um, yesterday, it was the Not My President's Day. Note to the protesters, he is your president, and he's going to be the president for the next four years. So either get on board or be the loyal opposition and figure out ways to contribute in a constructive fashion, whatever that is. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, big thing number two, we are going to be answering a question that I have been asked repeatedly for, oh, at least the last four months. So stick around. That is coming up. You want me to announce it? Eric said, okay, the program director wants me to announce that now instead of just teasing it. All right. We are getting ready to announce the question that I've been asked constantly. Who's going to fill in your own time slot? Who is going to be doing the show from noon until 3? We have the announcement. New program called Scafidi and Bill Stat. We will be talking with them in just a couple minutes. Big thing number two. It's 908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I I think one of the things that's always struck me is at this radio station, we have had pretty much unprecedented stability for a a long time. Charlie Sykes started his program, I want to say, in 1993. I came over here in 1998. And and our midday slot, 8.30 till noon and then noon to 3, has been the same since 1998. Last fall, it was publicly announced that Charlie was retiring, and that that meant that there were two steps to the the equation. First of all, what was going to be done with Charlie's slot? Well, it was easy. We announced right away I was sliding into the 8.30 to noon slot, and I just absolutely love it. But the other question is, okay, you know, Jeff, what's going to happen to the noon to 3 slot? And I will tell you this. I mean, station management has there's been a lot of stuff that was reported about this which was just people were making it all up <laughs> there's just no there were no way to describe it people making the whole thing up and i think one of the things station management was looking for in deciding this is wtmj is a little bit different as far as i think just like charlie sykes or me people who came to radio with experience beyond just being in the radio industry that that bring like a real world perspective and and that's one of the things i, I think we look for Given the broad nature of our audience, given the fact that we have an enormous number of people who listen, thank you all very much, and people from diverse backgrounds and lots of people who are older, lots of people who are younger, men, women, it is a very diverse station in that regard. And I think we all take our role as being part of this legacy radio station extremely importantly. So there has been an, an ongoing search to determine what is the best fit for that time slot. And as I announced just a couple minutes ago, um, station management has has made that decision, and it's I think it's going to work out great. Starting next week, noon to 3 is going to be occupied by a show we call Scafidi and Bilstadt. Eric Bilstadt, well-known, of course, our news director, and Steve Scafidi, the soon-to-be former mayor of Oak Creek, and they both joined me this morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Hello. Glad to be on. Well, great. Okay, tell me a little bit about what the show is going to be. What do you envision it being? You know, every day there's news stories happening locally, state, national. We're going to talk about those things. We're going to dig deep on them. It's, and it's going to be our take, and that's Eric and I's take on what those stories mean. And I'll, I'll bring the local perspective. I'm someone that served as mayor for five years and, 
as an elected before that as well. And I also bring private sector experience like you talked about. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about your background, Steve, for people who, who might not know that. And again, it's as, as somebody who was, you know, radio was a second career for me. I always think it's sort of interesting, again, to to have people who not just have covered stories, but actually have been involved in stories, people who have run businesses, people who have tried cases, people who have run for office. So when you're talking about things, you have this first person's perspective that you don't get if somebody spent their just entire career talking about stuff. So get a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I graduated from UWM in 83, and I was hired by the Nielsen Company. And as everybody knows, Nielsen means ratings, and that's what I worked on for 25 years, worked in that industry all across the country, lots of different jobs, did some uh, client work, did some uh, special project work, project manager stuff. So got a chance to have lots of conversations with people in all parts of the country, and uh, that's something that I... I think developed a skill set where I could have a good conversation with somebody. After that, I decided to run for office, ran for alderman in uh, 2009, won. And uh, three years later, we had uh, the mayor, uh, Bolander, passed away. And I was thrust into that race as mayor, won two terms. I think having those two different careers brings uh, some experiences to my job here at WTMJ that a lot of people don't have. I've seen how business works. I've been involved in client conversations and crisis communication. Same thing at the city. We've had incredibly big stories. We had the mass shooting in 2012. We've had economic development that rivals any community you want to pick in Wisconsin. Yeah, Oak Creek is thriving, no question about it. And the IKEA was the latest example of that. And those experiences and those conversations have helped me get to a point where I think I can bring that and break down stories for the audience. So our show is really, and Eric may have a different take, but our show is really about offering our take on the stories of the day. By the way, in addition to broadcasting this on the radio, we are live streaming this segment. And, of course, Eric and Steve are, are much better dressed than I am. I'm wearing my Marquette sweatshirt because <laughs> there's a ball game tonight. But um, um, you can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ and you, you can follow us. Um, okay, er- Eric, what um, are you going to continue to report the news and are you going to be offering it your take as part of the show? Well, it kind of depends on what the story is, but... One of the fortes that I at least like to think that I have is that I can help present the story, help tell a story, and walk you through it. So instead of it just being a 10-second soundbite in a newscast, we can go in-depth. We can get a little bit more explanation. We can ask a couple of questions that generally you may not be able to ask someone in a shorter setting, so to speak. So my role will be to help set Steve up, to show him what's out there, to give him ideas, to give him things to think about, and then have him give his reaction to it. I think a lot of times... When you hear news stories, whether it's in a newscast or if you see it on TV or if you just see the the headline link on your phone, you don't really process any more than just what that headline says or just what that quick graphic shows on the TV. Here we can actually expand on it a little bit. And it's not always going to be the the nastiest story. It's not always going to be the most serious story. It's going to be all all walks of life, right? So there'll be times to laugh. There'll be times to, to cry. There'll be times to get angry. It's not just politics it's not just weather it's anything goes whether it's entertainment sports what have you well and that that goes to i think the diversity of the wtmj audience that i that i have certainly found is that if you want if you want just hardcore politics obama sucks or trump is great or whatever and if you want that for three or six or nine or twelve hours a day there's all sorts of places you can go but one of the things i found in doing this for going on 20 years here at the station is that the audience wants a diversity, and, and you, you sure you want to talk about the hard-hitting issues, but every once in a while, it's fun to do something maybe a little bit lighter, and, and you're going to continue that mm-hmm. sort of trend. And we want to hear from the people of Wisconsin, too. That's the, the best part of this job, and you know this, Jeff, is when you hear 
all walks of life, when you get perspective, when you get insight from the people who live here, it's it's this state is remarkable. It really is a special place, and the people here are just different. And I mean that in the most wonderful way possible. And and we're going to do that as well. We're going to hear from them. They're they're, they're going to take we're going to take calls just like you take calls. We're going to hear from the different perspectives. We're going to hear from the mayors, from the VIPs, the newsmakers. Anything goes. One of the things I've always also been struck with about th- this market is I, I always describe it as parochial. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a lot of us who grew up here are still here, perhaps mm-hmm. more than maybe any other mar- major market in, in the country. And like like Steve, you're a local guy, right? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Cudahy, moved to right. Oak Creek when I was a freshman in high school. Right. And I think that matters. And the local perspective is something that people really, really care about. And I have a great group of former leaders and current electives that I can call on to comment on the stories of the day. You know, one of the great features we have is Friday Forum, where we can bring in newsmakers, actually break it down in a deeper dive than maybe most people get to hear beyond the sound bites that Eric talked about. Mm-hmm. What do you think about these things? We had the First Lady in here last week of Wisconsin. Right. Those are really cool things, great opportunities to tell the story in a deeper way, and I think that's what I'm most excited about, sharing that information that, that Eric and I can do every, every day from 12 to 3. See, one of the things that would have been easy is for WTMJ, and, and I know a lot of people were saying, why is it taking so long? But, I mean, actually this was a, a considered evaluation because the easy thing to do would be to have gone out and hired – some talk show hosts that have been fired at five or six radio stations all across the country. I'm, I'm being honest. There's and, you plenty know, of those guys. Right, right, exactly. Who do that kind of generic show, who don't know the market, who don't know the state, who don't have any sort of institutional memory, who don't remember when, remember before Oak Creek was developed, don't remember, you know, when there was a Northridge and that type of stuff. But I think it's that, that local, regional, state connection that is what makes WTMJ so very different, and that's what you bring. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a couple moments with much more. The new show is Scafidi and Bill Stat. We continue the conversation. Eric, you're going to excuse yourself, but yes. I get to chat with Mr. Scafidi for a little Steve bit. I'll give you Okay, 917 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 919 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One of the most... I, the question I have been asked the most over the last several months hasn't been, hey, how's the new time slot going, Jeff? It's been, what are they going to do with your time slot, noon to three? And, and now we're answering that question starting next week. The new show is Scafidi and Billstat. Steve Scafidi, uh, current mayor of Oak Creek, and, of course, Eric Billstat. Um, Steve, I, you are stepping down as the mayor of Oak Creek? I am, and that will be effective Friday, March 3rd, 8 a.m., and there's a process that has, has to happen. The first thing that happens is the Common Council president, who is Ken Gale, will step in, like I did when uh, Mayor Bolander died in 2011. That's a normal process. They'll sort out what the next step is. There's a couple options, but that's for them to figure out. The city's in great hands. We have great leadership at all levels and uh, and a great new city administrator, so they're in good shape. I am intrigued by this because, of course, you are talking to somebody who, after practicing law for 17 or 18 years, made the transition into radio and I honestly thought I was going to do it for two years, and here it's 20 years later. So it, it must have worked out well. But I, I, so I, I went through this a couple of decades ago. All right, why, why decide to make this change now? Why get into radio? It's just something that excites me. I, I was kidding earlier, but I have a broadcast journalism degree, and mm-hmm. it's fun to be able to finally put that to use. But the opportunity to take everything that I've experienced, private sector work, public sector work as mayor and alderman, and, and talk to people, our listeners, our great listeners, on the most powerful station in the state about things that matter to them is something I care about. I always was about the message and action. And that's really something I think I can do here as well. Who's, who's making the news? What's, what's the story behind it? But how does it affect people 
realistically? How does the transportation discussion affect everybody? How does that get worked out? Who's going to make it work out? What's the ideas? That's the kind of stuff we're going to dig into. Yeah, the, the why is it important? And that's why, that's why this station is different, in my opinion, than, than so many other stations around. It's the not, not only the, the breadth of the audience, but also the, the connection. People come here because they want to hear what's going on they want to hear from the newsmakers and obviously with your experience you bring that you bring that people listen to WTMJ it's the powerhouse station in the in the city and the state the, the opportunity to work here is something that's exciting and I'm thrilled my family's thrilled I hope that the residents of Oak Creek understand that there's a reason why I'm I'm you know shifting gears at this point I guess the big the big question is why leave now because the opportunity was there it's a once in a lifetime opportunity as you know, they don't come up that often. <laughs> well, and like I say, I mean, we have had really unprecedented stability. There's not too many major radio stations that had, I mean, again, not 8.30 until 3, almost 20 years. Yeah. You know, Sykes and me. And I listen to Charlie's show. I listen to your show in, in its old time slot. I love the format. I, and to have a great partner like Eric is going to be something that I look forward to. That's that's a great opportunity. You know, obviously, after Charlie announced his retirement and they said I was moving up to the 8.30 to, to noon slot, um, there was... It was actually, it was sort of making me crazy because I was reading some of the speculation or there, there are people who really didn't know what they were talking about, you know, out there saying, oh, WTMJ is, is moving away from conservative talk radio and, you know, they're, they're going to go to lefty talk, whatever it is. Let, let's talk a little bit about, pop. I mean, are you a conservative? Would you describe yourself as a conservative? Yeah, I'm a conservative and I'm a Republic, certainly a Republican and voted that way most of my life. But, um, you know, I'm a different kind of conservative. I will, I hear viewpoints that are out there. I give them careful consideration. I'm married to a liberal Democrat, so I certainly hear that side of the story. I, I, I <laughs> my, my late wife, you know, I, I, we had a mixed marriage as well, yes. So, and that's a common thing, you know that, sure. from doing the show. So I bring lots of different perspectives. Being conservative to me is paying attention to the Constitution, to the, the laws that are in place, but to, to make those laws work more effectively, that's the power of, I, I think, what a conservative can be. We have lots of laws in place. Half the time we don't follow the laws we have, and the ones we do follow, we're not effectively uh, doing that as well. So I want to make sure that we're, we're doing the right things for our taxpayers. I'm always concerned about the bottom line. One of the things I was really proud of, five years as mayor, lowest tax rate in Milwaukee County. That's done with fiscal conservatism, and that's a, that's a practice that I think more people need to follow. You don't spend more than you have. You do it in the right way. You certainly take risks, and you do it in the, you know, in a, in a reasonable fashion with great input. We always had great advisors on everything we did. You can't be afraid and you have to you think big and bold when you need to, but at the bottom bottom line is you gotta protect your taxpayers. I think we've done that and I think that's why people want to live in Oak Creek, move to Oak Creek. Well see and that's the experience you bring to the show because when you're analyzing budgets or when when you're hearing people in other communities or elected officials saying we have to have more, more, more you can at least assess it from an honest perspective about, no, you don't, uh, yes, maybe you do, or no, you don't, and, and you draw on your own personal experience. Everybody always wants more, right? You want more more budget money. We are, our cities and, and towns have, and villages have their levy frozen. Because of Act 10, a lot of those really tough decisions the governor and the legislator had, legislature had to make, I think it made our job easier. Now, there are challenges to that, and you have to rethink how you do services, what services you provide, what you can't afford to provide. You can look at things like garbage, whether you, you had our own people doing it or you, you outsourced it. We outsourced it in Oak Creek, save $85,000 a year. Those are decisions, and the people are, are happy about that. Those are decisions you make that 
think about the taxpayer, but actually maintain the services at the same See, time. One of the things I also think the listeners are really going to enjoy is the fact that there are some people in this industry whose entire life and identity revolves around the couple hours a day they're in front of the <laughs> right, microphone. Right, right. I, I'm not one of them. I, I have this this life outside, and I, I love the job, and it's a great job, but it's not what defines me. Um, you're, I think, going to be very similar in that regard. I mean, it's a great job. We love it. We take it seriously. We try to work hard at it. But um, you're very active in the community, and your your identity isn't going to be stem center right around this job right? i'm not going to be defined by 12 to 3 every day monday th- monday through friday i do a lot of things i'm active in a lot of things i will be vocal um to be honest stepping down as mayor allows me to be a little more vocal and a little less restrained and protects the city that i you know that I, i'm the mayor of so i'm going to look forward to doing more in the community uh, i think it frees me up to do some things that i you know was restricted sure. to uh, before so it's more opportunity for me i'm not going away i'm still going to live in oak creek i'm going to be around just like you, there's more to more to life than radio, but I'm going to really enjoy the three hours that I that I sit with Eric uh, every day at twelve to three. Would you just say this is going to be a talk show or a news show? What what is your vision? I think it's both. It's we are talking about the news of the day, and we're going to give our takes on it. Eric obviously comes from a news background. I come from a private and public sector background. So that combination, I think, gives us kind of a interesting perspective where two people are in the studio talking at the same time about an issue. There will be some fun stuff we talk about. There's, there can be fun news stories, as you know, but there are also sure. some serious stuff. And you know national politics probably better than anyone in the market. There's a lot to talk about, sure. a lot that's affecting us. Uh, you know, we see it with uh, some of the immigration stories. There's a lot to talk about, but I want to be able to break those stories down with some really great guests that provide some background. Right. And figure out why. One of the things I always try to do is figure out why it is important to people who are listening. You know, I mean, you, there's there, there's issues out there that maybe everybody is talking about on, on all the stations, but if but if it really doesn't matter to our listeners, who cares? I mean, why, the trick is why, why, why is something care? important? Right? Why is something important to people? And yeah. if you find that, it's magic. Yeah, I think people want to know what the background of the story is. How does it directly affect them? And they don't always get that with the headline. They want to know what it means for them and what a, what a change at the state means for the taxpayer in Oak Creek or Cudahy or wherever. Steve Scafidi, I will just tell you this. This is it's a great place to work. Like I, said, I thought I was going to be here like two years, and <laughs> somehow it's, it's turned into going on 20. I, I hope you have equally as long a run. It's extremely exciting. The So Friday is that you're going to be last day as mayor of Oak Creek? 24th? Friday, March 3rd. Okay. Yep. And, At 8 a.m. Yep. Okay. And the new show launches. Starts next week. Yep. Starts next week. Yep. Scafidi and Bill Stat, noon until 3. Welcome to WTMJ. Thanks for having me. It is 928, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I am very pleased with the uh, decision that WTMJ management has made. It, it took a little bit of time, but here, here, here is the, the thing, and I've been sort of living this on, on the periphery. Um, first of all, when that noon to three slot opened up, the easy and cheapest thing to have done would have been gone out and found syndicated programming. And from the beginning, uh, our station management said that that's not the way we're going we're going to go. All right. So then, if you were asking me to draw up, you know, who is the perfect person to take over the show? First of all, um, somebody who is connected to the community. It would have been again easy to go out and find somebody who had been doing a a radio show in some different market who'd been fired four or five times and had bounced around the country. Trust me, there's a lot of people out there like that. And then to have brought them in, and then there's a learning curve. They they do they would be doing a generic show 
for a couple years while they try to figure out, you know, what what is it that makes Milwaukee? What is it that makes southeastern Wisconsin? What is it that makes Wisconsin unique? So I, I, I wanted them to find somebody local, but also somebody who really understood the, the community. One of the things when we talk about is I, I always use the phrase institutional memory. I think it is so important to be able to, uh, again, remember – Gee, I remember when we had the fight about Act 10. You remember, you know, what happened when you had the Milwaukee County pension scandal, for example. And it's not that somebody can't come in and learn about those things, but if you had people who lived through it, you can, again, relate to these things. I remember the big debate about Miller Park and and those fights. And it's not to say that you can't do a radio show if you didn't live through that, but I, I think it helps. But in addition, one of the things that if I were drawing up the perfect list of candidates, it would not only be somebody who was local who understood that, but it was also somebody who had real-world experience as opposed to just I've covered the things, I've talked about it. Somebody who, in the case of Steve Scafidi, the mayor of Oak Creek, and before that a successful business person, who knows, you know, who, who knows what it's like to run for office, who knows what it's like as a, as a mayor – to try to run and build a city, who understands who the movers and shakers and who the players are in a community and can draw on that kind of experience. So um, then, of course, you've got Eric Bilstedt. I don't mean to downplay Eric, um, who, again, incredible radio experience and a really good guy. And I, I think, give it a chance. Scafidi and Bilstedt is going to be debuting next week. I think it's going to be something a little bit different. I, I was looking at all these reports about, oh, you know, WTMJ is not going to do conservative radio and all that. That's That's just not the case. What it is, though, is something a little bit different than the standard syndicated talk show that you can get on conservative radio stations, you know, anywhere in the country. It's going to be local. It's going to concentrate on regional and statewide issues and talk about national stuff when the national stuff is important to us. And I I think I think they're going to do a really good job. And so Scafidi and Billstadt. Tune in, debut uh, next week. Steve will be stepping down as the mayor of Oak Creek. And believe me, as somebody who made that midlife change a number of years ago, I, I wish him I wish him all the success in the world. Okay, big thing number three. A little bit behind schedule this morning, but we had that big news. Uh, the, the Slender Man case is now finally scheduled to go to trial. It, if it seems like this has been going on forever, um, it has. <laughs> it, it really has. The, uh, the, the Slender Man incident, of course, involves the, the two then 12-year-olds who were charged in June of 2014, almost three years ago, with the attempted first-degree intentional homicide of a sixth-grade classmate in order to please Slender Man, an Internet bogeyman. Um, both of the young women told police they believed Slender Man would kill them or their families if they didn't kill this friend who had had several surgeries to, uh, who ultimately ended up having to have several surgeries to survive 19 stab wounds. The case has been hanging fire for three years. A lot of the delays have been over attempts by the defense to try to force the case into juvenile court. They are to be tried as, as adults. And the defense has spent a lot of time and effort trying to get the case into juvenile court. Um, juvenile court, if they had been adjudicated delinquent, they would have been held for up to two years at a Wisconsin juvenile prison for girls and then released into the community on some form of supervision. Being tried as adults, they face up to 45 years in prison. 
It's not saying that they're going to get 45 years, but that, of course, would be what the maximum is. Both of the young women who are now going to be tried separately, their cases have been the legal term is severed. Um, they're going to be tried separately. And um, so they're looking at up to 45 years in prison. The trials are going to be scheduled to come around um, again th- this fall. But this poses, of course, a huge question about, and, they, and they've entered pleas of not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. This case poses a very, very difficult situation for a lot of people. Obviously, you have two young women. I mean, they were 12 at the time who committed a horrendous crime, at least allegedly. Uh, clearly... There are mental health issues that are out there. They are now scheduled to go to trial. What should happen to these two girls? Let us assume for the sake of argument that the state is able to convince people beyond a reasonable doubt that they did, in fact, commit this crime. They did the stabbings. But what would be justice in this case, given the fact that there are clearly mental health issues that are here, given the fact that they were 12 years old when the crime was committed, at least allegedly, how should this work out? Should should these girls be sent to prison for the next 15, 20, 30, 45 years? Or is there a different resolution? What is justice in the Slender Man case, assuming the state is able to prove guilt? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 942, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 946, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And by the way, when I'm talking about the delay in getting the Slender Man case to trial, this is in no way a criticism of the Waukesha County Circuit Judge, Michael Boren, who's handling this. I've known Mike Boren for a long time. He's a really, really good judge. But what's taken so long is there's been all these different procedures and all these different appeals as the defense attorneys have tried to get the case out of adult court into juvenile court unsuccessfully. So now this fall, the cases will be proceeding to trial. But assuming the girls did this, what should happen? Ryan in Brookfield. Ryan, good morning. Thanks, Nick Michael. Sure, what do you think? I think it's a a sad case for all three families, actually. But, you know, when you're a 12-year-old girl, I have one of those right now, and she can't. She doesn't have the mental capacity to articulate what she wants for dinner that day, and you know, for these girls, obviously they have some issues uh, mentally. And if they thought that this guy was real and their families were in danger, you know, it was horrible what they did. But they don't deserve to go to adult prison. They don't deserve to be in county jail for three years. Mm-hmm. They need mental help. Mm-hmm. Period. I mean, the girl didn't die. You know, it was yeah, a horrible, but, horrible. horrible but, but many but, surgeries. I mean, it, it's but for the grace of God that she didn't die. I mean, this I was a pretty savage I attack. That. But everyone, everyone who has a, a six-year-old, chi- a sixth-grade child, knows that you know. You tell them to make their bed and brush your teeth. They don't do it. They don't know sometimes right from wrong. And then, they, and then you throw in a mental issue that they think some fictional character is living in the forest. And if they don't do what he says, he's going to kill them and their family. Let, let's put aside the mental. Is. Let's put aside the mental health issue. I mean, do you? I guess. You say that at the age of, like, 12 years old, people, kids don't know that it's wrong to take knives and try to, to stab and, and kill one of their classmates. I, I guess I, I'm having trouble with that, putting aside the mental health issue. I mean, I don't, don't, I mean, there's right and there's wrong. I think most 12-year-olds would understand that that's wrong. Yeah, but I've been following this case, and the judge is basing a lot of his stuff on, you know, their admission of guilt in their interrogation. Right. 
I mean, how can a 12-year-old girl waive her right to an attorney or her parents being present at 12 years old? Okay, but I mean, that, that's where that's where he's putting his hat on is that they waived their right and and they admitted what they did to the police, so therefore it's first degree intentional. I mean, right. at 12 years old, they don't know what's right and wrong. They don't know Miranda rights. They don't, you know, they just get scared and tell you know adults okay. intimidate them and tells them what to say. Okay, well, that, I mean, th- I mean, Brian, I'm thanks. Okay, that that's kind of the argument that you know the, the Brandon Dassey people are making that you know if, if you're a juvenile, you you, you can't. You, you you can't voluntarily give up your rights. You can't confess. You you don't understand that, which to me is a separate issue from that's a separate legal issue, certainly from the underlying situation of did did you do it? And I guess I was just having trouble with your basic premise that somebody who's twelve years old doesn't is so incapable of of sorting right from wrong that you you don't know it's wrong to take a, a butcher knife and, and stab one of your classmates. And again, putting aside the mental the the, the mental health issue because. It's been a long time since I've been 12 years old, but I, I know that my, my nephew is nine. He's going to be 10 in a week or so. Happy birthday, Alex. But, and I, I have no doubt that he understands that it would have been, would it be wrong to grab a knife at the age of nine and try to stab somebody. 414-799-1620. Uh, let's talk to Dave in Appleton. Dave, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Well, I guess I can't have uh, a much more opposite opinion than in your last caller there, Jeff. I mean, I guess I'm going to be the cold-hearted. These girls should be locked up for the next 30 years, period. And don't get me into that. Well, if they did, they did it. We know they did it. And you're, all these semantics, uh, well, they're too young to confess, blah, 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 blah. Fine, locked up. If it's in the mental institute, then they're locked up like John Hinckley for the next 35 years in the mental institute. What are you going to do? Are you going to let them loose on the world when they turn 21? Well, see, that, that is the question. I know that's probably been something going through the judge's mind because under the juvenile system, essentially, if they were adjudicated delinquent, they're tried as juveniles, they're adjudicated delinquent, they can be you know, held for up to two years and then sent, essentially sent back on the community on some form of tightened community supervision. But if, if, you're willing to, if you're able to do this at the age of 12, do you really want somebody back in the community anytime soon? No, not at all. I mean, and this is... You know, this, this is kind of the problem with our mental health facility is you have these people, even have parents that are going, hey, my son, my daughter is got some serious problems. Well, we can't do anything about it until he does something. Right. Well, right. Well, yeah. it's also a problem, to tell you the honest, uh, goodness, truth, Jim, it's a problem with the juvenile justice system as well that you, you have, you're, you're essentially forced to make these decisions. Do you try them as an adult for a crime they're committed at 12 or do you try to go to this juvenile justice system that clearly does not have adequate penalties for what the crime that they committed were? Because I think most people would say, gee, you know, you do something like this and, and you can only be essentially held for a couple years and then we're going to send you back into the community. That's not acceptable either. Not at all. I mean, they're going to be a danger to others for the rest of their lives based on, you know, what you've seen so far. Well, well, I mean, again, you always you you always hope that there's going to be you know some degree of yeah. I, I'm who who knows, but but this is sort of a scary situation. And, and by the way, I'm not going to downplay that the fact that that the the victim didn't die. I mean, it's it again. It is but for the grace of of God. Um, the, the victim in this case, 19 stab wounds, several surgeries. The only reason, again, she she didn't die is thankfully, you know, none of these stab wounds, you know, hit uh, a vital organ or at least damaged the vital organ beyond repair. But this th- this is just brutal. Let's talk to Sally on the north side. Sally, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. 
Hi, good morning, Jeff. Yeah, I just think that, uh, you know, despite the fact that these girls might feel terrible, I'm, you know, feel terrible now and, you know, would say they would never have done this again. Maybe they would never do anything like this again. Maybe when they're 21, they're fine and they are wonderful citizens. Here's the thing. This was a horrendous crime where a girl almost lost her life. It was planned out. This was not a spur of the moment thing. This was something that was methodically planned out. Yep. It is by the grace of God that she is alive. And this is a crime that must be punished. And that's part of it that we can't forget. You cannot punish these girls appropriately in in juvenile court. It just can't happen. Right. Right. Which is why, I mean, big picture macro view, I was saying earlier, might be these are the type of things that maybe you want to look at saying, is our juvenile justice system completely and totally broken? That these are the choices. Should there be more strict penalties so you can so you don't have to choose necessarily one way or the other but given the choice i understand where the da is coming from and i I guess again i i I think the i personally think the judge has gotten it right in saying we're not going to kick this over into juvenile court we're going to try it as an adult now then the harder question becomes if they're convicted you know what do you do you know they're 12 years old when they committed the crime they're going to be 14 or 15 when they're tried do you you put somebody, and by the way, 15-year-olds don't go into adult prison. They, at some point in time, they right. might, even if they're tried as an adult. Do, do, do you put them in prison for 30 years? That I don't know. That's the, But that's the hard question. Well, and that's, and that's the option then that the judge has to decide. And he does have an ability to choose between this range. But his the low end of his range is much more appropriate than the top end of the juvenile yes. justice range. And that is why it's broken, because if you can end up with a gap that large, right. uh, you know, for a crime that's this horrendous, it, it, you, you have no option but to choose the harsher penalty. And there because because you cannot choose the lesser one. Right. Um, no. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. And yeah, I mean, I know. Thanks. I mean, that's why I, I think Judge Boren has been. I have agreed with the vast majority of his rulings as I have been following this case. Now, there's going to be this lengthy series of, of appeals, but that, that is one of the other questions about, you, you know, you have to choose, okay, really, uh, you know, two years and then under intense supervision or a, a, a broader sort of situation. I mean, I, I think they're right to do, I think they're right to do what they're trying to do. Um, Jim in West Dallas. Jim, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, good morning. Um, I, I agree with the last couple of callers. I, I, I feel as well um, that they should be tried in adult court for this uh, this crime. Um, now they were twelve when they committed the crime. Is that too young? Our first guy was saying, you know, he is he's got a twelve or thirteen year old, and they just don't understand right from wrong. No, I, I, I don't agree with that. I have a, a nine year old daughter who's about to be ten years old, and um, actually, I have four kids, and then down to my two-year-old who's about to turn three, he can distinguish right from wrong with picking right. up a knife. Right. Um, yeah. you know, your, your, your nine-year-old isn't going, your, your nine-year-old, soon-to-be ten-year-old, knows that it's wrong to plan to murder a classmate and lure her into the woods and, and stab her. She, she understands that that is a wrong thing to do. Definitely, definitely. And I think for those girls to even have planned that out, I mean, it's, it's something mentally ill wrong, yep. but to... to be able to comprehend what they were doing at the time of planning. Um, that, to me, um, says I, I, I would think they would be tried as adults. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. Again, that, I mean, the state is, they, they've both, both of the the young women have entered pleas of not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. And that, of course, you know, the, the standards, it's a lot tougher 
now um, because without going into too many details, I mean, essentially it requires you to prove that you couldn't appreciate right from wrong and that you you, you couldn't control the consequences of your behavior. The, the I mean, the, the strongest the strongest evidence to the contrary is the planning aspect of, of this. But I mean, that that's something that will be sorted out in trials. But in any event. Uh, I think it's important on. I think it's important on, on closure, and I, I'm glad that the case is now scheduled for trial. Uh, three years is a long time, but again, it's. I don't think it's because of the prosecution. I think it's been because of a series of defense motions. But I, I do think, I do think it is important to go to trial. I think they should be tried as adults. After the trial, then the really tough thing comes if they're found to be guilty and they're held to be not mentally incompetent. Tough thing is going to be, what do you do if you're the judge as far as sentencing? 1009, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. So, Michelle. Yes. You, 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 you like host this segment like one time a week, and last week I was asking you about homonyms. This is not uh-huh. about homonyms. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Do, Eric Church, the performer. Do you know who Eric Church is? Country guy? Country guy. Yeah. Absolutely. You country fan or not necessarily? Um, I listen to it sometimes when I get sick of other stations. Okay. Eric, well, all right. See, you passed. Okay. You knew what a homonym was last week, and you know what? You know who Eric Church was. I better quit now while I'm uh, ahead. Okay. All right. You're two for two. <laughs> Eric Church um, is a, a country music star, and he's one of these guys who kind of came up through the ranks, um, you know, started performing small venues and now has become extremely popular. And, and now he, he sells out arenas. Eric Church is one of those performers where if you're a promoter and you're considering booking him into the Bradley Center, booking him into Madison Square Garden, he's one of those performers that can sell out that type of venue. So there's lots of demand. Well, okay, where there is demand, there's always people out there trying to make money. And we've talked about this before, but but Church has an interesting position on this. Church, Eric Church, cannot stand the ticket scalpers. The, the, and because he believes that his performances, he wants the tickets to go to his fans. And he takes the position that if, if he's going to charge, for example, $100 for a ticket, that there's just something fundamentally wrong about somebody buying a ticket that he's selling a hundred for a hundred dollars and then reselling it for three hundred dollars for for example you know making money that that doesn't go to the venue that doesn't go to the performer and he's saying look I'm trying to keep ticket prices under control and you've got these ticket brokers that are are just undermining that there was an interesting I, I'm looking at the story about this the Associated Press has a story you know you two which is touring this year in connection with um, the, the Joshua Tree album. But there was a deal like U2, um, a U2 concert in Madison Square Garden not that long ago. Tickets go on sale. And within one minute, a, a ticket broker using the sophisticated ticket software buys over 1,000 tickets to in, in one minute to the show and then turns around and, and posts them they're selling them on StubHub or you know tickets now or whatever for in general a margin of forty nine percent over face value, but sometimes more than ten times the price. And of course, that money doesn't go to the artist, it doesn't go to the venue, and it comes out of the pockets of the fan. By that day's end, this U two concert, the broker and one other had acquired fifteen thousand tickets to U 2s North American shows. So, on the one hand, the ticket brokers will argue, you know, we provide a, a service. 
you know, we get you tickets to hard to get shows. But the flip side of that is that in some cases, it is the ticket brokers that are making the tickets hard to get by scooping them up through the, the sophisticated computerized programming programs and things like this. Now, some artists, and we talked about this last week or two weeks ago, are, are trying to figure out ways to defeat the, the, the ticket brokers. One of the things that they are doing, unfortunately, makes it extremely difficult for the fans. Because, for example, one thing you could do is you could say, we're not going to let you print your tickets in advance. What's going to happen is, if you're going to get your tickets, you have to show up on the day of the show with your credit card. And, you know, it has to be swiped, kind of like I went to the movies about a week or so ago. I ordered the tickets online. I couldn't print the tickets, though. I had to show up at the movie theater with the credit card. I swipe it, and then it it prints out the, the tickets. Well, some artists are doing that, but the problem is it's inconvenient. Um, it causes delays in trying to get in. It also makes it difficult, if not impossible, to give gifts. I mean, if I want to, as a, as a gift, if I want to give Hondo and Mrs. Hondo tickets to a show, and I, I can't just order them and download them, but I have to either then, if under that situation, I'd either have to show up with my credit card with them that night or give him my credit card. And Hondo, I love you like a brother, but I'm not giving you my credit card. I, I just, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just not. So that's not a perfect solution. But in any event, Eric Church, who has been one of the most vocal guys in battling scalpers over the, the years, um, has now, he's now, what he did yesterday, he, he's got this spring tour that's coming up. Yesterday, he canceled more than 25,000 tickets that had been sold to his spring tour. Um, you know, what he said, he said, you know, we have, we have these, we have our own sophisticated software, and we're getting better at identifying who these scalpers are. And um, what we've figured out is we're able to tell when it's some of these ticket resellers who are buying these things. He said, you know, he said, you know, I'm seeing tickets that, you know, we're selling for, you know, they start at 60 bucks. And, you know, the, the highest price ticket in the, in the place is like 135. And he says, I, I'm looking and I'm seeing these tickets being resold for $500. And he said, that's, that is just not right. I, I resent it. I want it to be, you know, my, my fans. He said, I, I want these to be people who, you know, really want to see me. We're doing 39 to 40 songs. And so what they've done is they've identified, again, 25,000 tickets to this tour that were bought by ticket resellers and they've just canceled them. They've said that the tickets aren't aren't, aren't going to be honored, and they're going to now resell them. Now, of course, as you might expect, the ticket brokers are screaming bloody murder, saying, "Hey, you know, we've provided this um, this service. You know, you shouldn't be able to do it." And Church is saying, "Well, no. Look, this is I'm out there protecting the fans." Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. We call this segment Dealer's Choice. I do this every day. Let's start the 10 o'clock hour. Here you have a performer who is aggressively out there trying to combat the resale of tickets. Should the artists care about this? How much, if you go to concerts, and I attend concerts and events regularly, how big a deal is this? Is it a service to be able to go on to, again, some of these big sites that are out there, knowing that you're going to pay a lot more than face value, but you're going to be able to get the ticket. Or are these artists right 
Should they be cracking down on this? And as a guy like Eric Church, do you applaud him when he finds out that, hey, tens of thousands of tickets have been bought, purchased by these ticket brokers for resale purposes? Is he doing the right thing? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. How frustrating has it been for you to, again, try to buy tickets at face value? They're all sold. And then 10 minutes later, you see there's thousands of these tickets on sale on some Internet website charging three or four times what the face value is. Let's start with Michael in Milwaukee. Michael, you're first. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Uh, as an example, and I agree with you 100%, um, prior to them going on sale, I was looking at a StubHub site or whatever for Billy Joel, and they already had tickets you know, kind of squared away uh, even before the tickets went on sale. Right. And I don't know how that process works, and, and I don't. Agree I, I, with yeah, it at all. I, I think they might have been. I, I think sometimes they're just they're doing that on speculation, assuming that they're going to be able to get th- those tickets because they've got these programs and stuff like this. I think that's how they work, but I'm not positive. Well, and indeed, the the prices were still you know twice the face value, and so it is just crazy. And I don't care that this, the scalpers may be crying foul here, but. Uh, Bravo, Eric Church, is what I say. Yeah, no, thanks. And I, and, I, and I appreciate that, you know, if you're in the ticket resale business, there there is a risk that you are taking. I mean, the risk is you buy these tickets and the, the concert is not popular. You're not able to resell them, so you end up getting stuck with them. And I understand ticket resellers, I mean, it, it is a business and they provide a service. But part of the problem is where you have nowadays with these computerized systems where you have the ability to gobble up enormous quantities of these tickets through these different computer programs. I mean, really, this U2 concert, it goes on sale, and within a minute, within a minute, you've got one particular ticket broker that's picked up a 1,000 tickets, despite the fact that they have a, a limit that says you're only supposed to buy four, be able to buy four tickets. Well, they set up all these different accounts and stuff, and the people that are getting... The people that are getting messed over are the fans. The artists are also getting messed over, too, because, I mean, I sympathize with Eric Church. He says, look, if, if I, for close-up seats, if, if, I'm, if I'm getting $135 and that's the revenue that's coming to me, you know, why should, you know, Hondo Ticket Service be able to sell those for $500 and just by the act of reselling them because they're able to gobble them up, they're able to make more money off of that seat than I'm able to make. 414-799-1620. All right, do you applaud what guys like Eric Church are doing, or is this going to hurt the, the business of ticket resale, which does provide a service? We continue the conversation next. 1019 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1022 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Making a murderer fans aren't the only people waiting to hear if Brendan Dassey's conviction will be thrown out. The criminal justice system is following this case as well. Could it spend the, spell the end of juvenile confessions? Get the details on WTMJ today at 1235. You will go broke trying to pick out what a court of appeals will do. I, I will say this. The longer it takes for a decision to come out, my prediction would be the more it indicates that the Brandon Dassey conviction will be affirmed because – Right after oral arguments, typically what happens is three-judge panel, that they vote. And and so you know where the case the case has been decided, and then one of the judges gets assigned to write the opinion. If there's a situation where they believe that somebody is sitting in prison improperly, the, the result tends to come out quicker because you don't want somebody who's wrongfully convicted to, to be in jail one day longer than they have to be. The longer it waits, typically – is more indicative of the fact that the conviction is going to be affirmed. But that's, 
That is an imprecise um, look at it. All right, we're talking about uh, the ticket brokers. Tara in Racine. Tara, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Tara. Hi. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, th- I applaud Eric Church. A few years ago, Louis C.J. Uh, right. decided to sell tickets himself right. because he wanted to make it affordable to his fans, and I thought that was great. Uh, you know, I don't know if you recall it a few years ago. I, 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 uh, I recall Louis C.J., sure, yeah. Yeah, and then he decided to go ahead and, like, on some side of some type, he sold tickets himself to his fan. Right. And I, and I thought that was great, cutting out the, the ticket brokers and everything else. Right. I will go out of my way to not pay convenience, convenience fees right. and so forth. I'll go down to the venue itself and buy tickets, right. you know, and type of thing. Right. So I, because I have to make it affordable for me to be able to see what I want to see. So right. I don't, yeah. And, and, and again, right, the ticket, I mean, and look, and I understand, and it's Louis C.K., I, I think I might have said C.J., Louis C.K., the, um, the, I, I understand the ticket brokers provide a service, but it, it's when people behave in a piggish fashion, if you've got these computer programs that scoop up 10, 15, 20% of the tickets within the first minute or two that the show goes on sale, that, that's, that's taking those tickets away from you and me, Tara, and it, and the money's exactly. not going to the artist. Exactly. Exactly. No. Exactly, and so I don't really, I don't approve of that. I think it should be illegal, almost. You know what I mean? I mean, I know they have the right to do that, but like you said, they get piggish. You know what I mean? They want to go overboard, and uh, you know. Right. Well, I mean, I'll tell you. I mean, matter of fact, you said it should be illegal. Last year, Congress passed legislation that makes the use of computerized software used by ticket scalpers to to snap up tickets an unfair and deceptive practice under the FTC Act. And the FTC can go after people who do it, but but it doesn't happen. I mean, there, there's no teeth in this legislation. The FTC would have to act, and I don't believe the FTC has, has ever acted. I mean, Eric Church actually says, yeah, I know this is out there, but um, the, the FTC isn't backing this up by prosecuting people. And he said, so, I mean, I have to end up, you know, doing something, and unfortunately, sometimes that stuff that you do, you know, inconveniences the fans. Like I say, you got to show up with the the credit card. Well, that's not a good answer in many respects, and it also delays stuff. But I, I think it's important for the artists to do this. So, interesting story. I, I think it's Dealer's Choice today. Eric Cho- Eric Church saying, "Hey, okay, all these tickets that you know were scooped up, these twenty five thousand tickets. Sorry, they're 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 canceled, and we're going to put them up for resale." It is 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Daylight Saving Time. And by the way, I have learned the hard way over all these years, it is not Daylight Savings with an S time. It is Daylight Saving Time. So I promise I will never make that mistake again because over the years I have occasionally said Daylight Savings Time with an S. And thank you to the hundreds of you who would promptly email me, correcting me. I will never forget Daylight Saving Time. Anyways. Daylight saving time, just a few weeks away, but a couple of Wisconsin legislatures want to eliminate the tradition in the Badger State. One of them explains why and how that would happen on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to tune in 521 today and whatever you do, daylight savings time. Saving singular time. It's like my um, my grandmother. Uh, one, one thing I, I very vigorously remember from my grandmother is that cakes are done, people are finished. So like if you're in a restaurant and the... The waitress comes up or the waiter comes up and says, are, are you done? I always, I can't, I can't help myself. I channel my grandmother. I'm finished. You know, because that's, cakes are done. People, people are finished. What can you say? Um, Michigan State University has just banned whiteboards. You know what a whiteboard is? Like, I, I, have, a, I have a whiteboard up behind my desk. You know, it's just the, the things you hang on the wall that you can write on with the, the, the 
the thing that the pen that you then can erase. I mean, I keep track of the different things I'm going to talk about on the show, and then I, I erase it. Well, you, you have whiteboards that are all over, and Michigan State University, since there have been whiteboards, have apparently had whiteboards outside of various dorm rooms so people could write little slogans or leave notes or whatever. They have now banned whiteboards because apparently someone someone wrote something nasty on on one of the whiteboards. Somebody apparently wrote a racist statement on one of these whiteboards. And so Michigan State has decided that they are going to ban whiteboards. So instead of instead of trying to find the person that wrote the racist slur and disciplining them or expelling them or whatever, the response of Michigan State is, let's get rid of all the whiteboards. Now, I guess there's all sorts of ways that you can, you know, solve a problem. But it would seem to me if the problem is you've got somebody that's writing a racist thing. Well, instead of getting rid of the thing that they wrote it on, don't you want to get rid of the person? Because instead of writing it on a whiteboard, now they'll just write it on a wall or they'll leave a note or whatever. But that's not how we deal with things in 2017. We want safe space. So we are now outlawing whiteboards. Go figure. All right, coming up next, a principal calls 911 about a student. She has now been disciplined. Stick around. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. There are eight names on the Brewers roster for five starting pitcher spots. How will the rotation shape up come opening day? Is it time to part ways with Matt Garza? <laughs> that's okay. That's that, <clears throat> Greg Matzik takes a look tonight on Sports Central at six fifteen. It is the Brewers have made many bad free agent signings when it comes to pitchers, and I, I mean I, I understand to get people to come to Milwaukee, they have to overpay. Um, Matt Garza probably isn't the worst. Well, he's one of them. Uh, no, uh, Jeff. Whatever that guy's name, he that, that one guy, Jeff Supon, that was the worst free agent signing. Matt Garza, um, it, it's been rough. It has been rough and rocky. Is it time to part ways with Matt Garza? Yes. The problem is he's got one year left on this huge contract, and they're paying him really stupid money. And you can't find anybody who, in their right mind, would take that contract unless he gets off to a really good start and wins a bunch of games, and maybe they can dump some of it. Is it time to part ways with Matt Garza? Call Greg and tell him, you bet, um, Sports Central at 6.15 this evening. Okay, there's a, this story comes from Waukegan, Illinois. It is an elementary school. Elementary school. About a month ago, the local police receive a phone call from the principal at the elementary school. It comes in at about 10 o'clock one morning. Uh, the... The transcript of the 911 call has the principal on the phone telling the 911 operator that police need to come to the school because there is an out-of-control child. The principal says he's punched staff members, he's run out of the building, he's climbed a fence. So she makes this call, we've got an out-of-control student Punch staff members, run out of the building, climbed a fence, send the cops. Now, here's the dazzling detail about this story. Did I mention it's an elementary school? Okay, well, elementary schools 
broad range of, of students. You can be, what, up to sixth grade or something in some elementary schools. So we could be talking about, like, out-of-control 12 graders, 12, 12-year-olds, 12 theoretically. Uh, the child that the principal is calling 911 about is a kindergartner. Five, maybe six, don't know. But this is a kindergartner. The principal calling 911, describing the child as out of control, punching staff members, run out of the building, climbed a fence, send the cops for a kindergartner. Well, school officials are perhaps troubled that the principal would make this decision. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Okay, let's tee this one up. Here you have clearly a, a child that I'm going to assume for the sake of argument is in fact perhaps out of control, throwing a tantrum. The child has swatted or punched at staff members. The child is not listening. The child is running around and or outside of the building. But the child is also a kindergartner. Under these circumstances, is it appropriate for the principal to call 911 and demand police assistance? Or is this something that school officials should be able to handle on their own. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Now, obviously, if we were talking about a high school situation and you had a 16-year-old that was out of control, punching staff members, running around, creating a disruption, okay, maybe I understand that, that you call the cops there. But this is not that situation. This is a kindergarten student. And if this you had a child in kindergarten or in the elementary school and you heard that the principal was calling 911 on the kindergartner, would you think, oh, good, this is what a, this is what the cops are for? Or would you think that the school is out of control because how can they not handle a situation? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1040. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. John and Franklin. John, good morning. Good morning. Okay, what do you think? You got the nine, you got a, a kindergartner who is running around, apparently punched at a teacher. The principal calls the cops. I think the cops get there. They should haul the principal away. Because if she can't handle a five year old, she certainly shouldn't be a principal. My yeah. daughter's been teaching K 5 for about six years now. And once in a while, you get somebody that gets a little out of land and it's doesn't take long to put them in their place. Um, do you think nowadays the, the teachers and the administrators feel reluctant to do that because if you discipline a kid, next thing you know you're going to have lawsuits or you're going to have the parents going to the school board and complaining they were too tough on the kid? Well, fortunately, my daughter is in a private school system. and right. If you don't like it, you can take your kid out of there. For yeah. Sure. yeah it was, if you're paying $4,000 a year to have your kid in kindergarten, you want to make sure they get some training, too. Um, thanks for call. Well, that's, okay, 414-799-1620. I mean, have we created this environment where teachers, look, I, I always hate to say, oh, back in the day, but there was, I mean, there was a reality where I, I've told this story before. I had a seventh grade teacher 
He used to throw erasers. This is back in the day where you actually had erasers. And if you were doping off in class, he was a math teacher, he would chuck erasers across the, the room. And, you know, you, you're not all of a sudden, boom, you know, you get hit by this eraser. Now, it doesn't hurt, but chalk goes flying. It wakes you up. Can you imagine nowadays if you had a story about a, a teacher that threw an eraser at some kid? And, of course, I understand that we, we don't have those detectable erasers. But can you imagine nowadays? It's, oh, my gosh, this is child abuse. How could you do that? Greg, downtown. Greg, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, um, I think it depends on the situation, and part of what you just said is is that parents, are, the first thing they're going to do is come back and sue a school right. if they think some, something happened with their kid. Right. But my wife also works in a district where they had a an autistic um, kindergartner and ran into a teacher when out of control and broke the teacher's leg. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how do you keep control? Well, I guess that's the for. I guess that's the the question. I mean, is it is that there is it the responsibility of the schools? Is it the responsibility of the parents? I mean, is it the responsibility of the school to try to figure out appropriate disciplinary measures to keep a kindergartner in control? To a point, I mean, it used to be, but yeah. nowadays, again, parents overreact, and the first thing they want to do if they they feel the kid has been wrong is go after the school, go after the principal. Right, so by calling 911 and getting the cops involved, you essentially say, okay, this I'm, we're not going to be the ones that make this decision. The kid is out of control. Here are police. You end up dealing with this, in other words. Well, my guess is it's not the first time the kid was out of control, and that could be the last straw that the principal decided she had to, you know, she couldn't control the situation anymore, and she had to do something. Um, which I, I think is probably exactly the case. Thanks for the call. Well, here, here's why I find this so interesting. The, the principal has been suspended. She received a three-day suspension as a result of calling 911 over over this incident. Um, the the district essentially came out and, and with a statement, and this was an experienced principal. I mean, she'd, she'd been a third and fifth grade teacher for a long time and had been a principal for a number of years. The This is what the, the district said, superintendent said, neither the superintendent's office nor the Board of Education condone any staff member unnecessarily involving law enforcement or engaging the police in routine student discipline matters. We continuously strive to enhance the social, emotional competency, and cultural awareness of all our staff members and build effective supportive relationships within the entire school community. Now, I don't know if they're referring to the fact this school is probably three-quarters Hispanic. It's a magnet school, so I don't know if, if that's an overtone. And so, essentially, they they've they have hung the principle out to dry. Three-day suspension, we don't call. We don't condone you calling the police for routine disciplinary things. All right, I agree as a general rule that it's nuts to call nine one one on a kindergartner, but I am sympathetic to what our last caller was talking about. This is the environment we now live in. If you have a child that is out of control, that is not responsive, that is throwing punches, that is acting up. Now, I understand. It is. It sounds ridiculous to say, okay, it's a five- or a six-year-old. Of course, you should be able to keep the child under control. But we do live in this world nowadays where you touch the kid. I mean, you try to physically restrain the kid in any sort of fashion at all, and you know you're going to get complaints and, and maybe lawsuits. So do, do I think on its face that it sounds like it's it's ridiculous that, you know, you would have a principal that calls 911. I, the congregation says amen, absolutely. But at the same time, I, I'm not willing to, 
I'm not willing to automatically say that this is ridiculous because we have so tied the hands of school administrators and school teachers when it comes to providing discipline that, yeah, okay, the kid is acting out, the kid is punching. I mean, so what happens? The kindergarten teacher grabs the kid by the wrist or the kid is running around and fuses to be restrained. You pick him up, you put him in a chair, he gets up, he runs again, and then you know something ends up happening. Then you get the lawsuit. I mean, th- this whole thing is nuts. It does strike me that the principal is somewhat being hung out to dry here. Now, the school says this was, this, we don't condone, the school board says we don't condone calling for a routine situation. But I don't know, what, what is routine? Have, have we just, it seems to me we have created this monster. And while it is ridiculous that a principal would call 911 on a student, what, what are the teachers supposed to do? Larry in Lake Geneva. Larry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, yeah, Jeff, on, to comment on your thing, yes, we've created this environment. Um, in your situation here, the uh, education uh, system has decided to pass it off to the, pol- right. to the policemen to be the uh, bad guys, I guess. But look at it grade after grade after grade. Um, kids that are disruptive, that don't do their homework, that this. Uh, Act out in antisocial ways, yes. Right, they get passed on to 6th grade, to 7th grade, to high school, so until it's finally passed out of the school system into the employer, then the employer has to be the enforcer, and they have to be the bad guy. And the kids are like, what do you mean? Nobody's ever told me no. Nobody's ever told me right. I have to sit still. Nobody's ever told me I have to right. show up for work five days a week. Right. So, yeah, and this is the way the, the what, multiple generations have been raised. Um, in, in your and my case, I'm sure, um, the worst thing that could happen if I acted up in school, the worst thing in my mind that yep. could happen is that they called my parents. Yep, e- exactly. I would much rather have Mr. Stanley throw an eraser and hit me in the head than I would to, you know, have, have my father called, right. you know, at, at work, um, so that I'd be waiting when he got home going, what were you doing? What were you doing in class? No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you entirely. No, thank, thanks for calling me. I'm, I am with you entirely on this um, on, on this whole thing. But again, it's it's does it sound when I first heard the story? I have to tell you, when I first looked at it, my response was, "This is ridiculous." She called the she called nine one one. But while it is ridiculous, it, it's in some respects it's the choices that we have have left. Linda in Oconomowoc. Linda, good morning. You're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. What do you think? You know, I, I was just thinking. In today's world, you know, you hear about the stories where the five-year-old brings a gun to school right. or some kind of a weapon and kids are out of control. You know, it almost seems like in certain situations, 911 would be a good idea. But I just thought of something, and I'm not certain because I've been out of school a long time, but what they should have in every school office is a security patrol, like one security officer, and if a child acts up, it is under the understanding to the parents that that security guard has the uh, right to escort the child out of the building or into a room or, you know, put hands on them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That they are able to touch them and how, just... How many parents do you think would sign off on that? I mean, in a public well, school setting, giving somebody, giving a quote-unquote stranger the authority to lay hands on your kid. I, I, I can't imagine too many parents signing off on that, quite honestly. Educated in advance for the security and the safety of the child. I mean, if you have an autistic child, and I used to work with them, right. and they're out of control, believe me, they'll start spitting. They'll right. they have more power in their right. arms. You know, aside from calling nine one one, it really would be beneficial to have a security guard 
and you know somebody that can just very. What, what does it know, say, Linda, that we're talking about in 2017? The need to have security guards at great at elementary schools, you know. Well, I hate to say it, but you know what? With with the situations that have been have been occurring in some of the schools and right. the, you know, Jewish schools and that kind of thing, wouldn't it be nice to have somebody that could have a little control, make the decision to call nine one when it's appropriate, kind of manage and let the parents know that somebody is there to keep their children safe. Yeah, I appreciate that. And what that. would they pay them? Well, right? That, right, well, that, right, I mean, well, I guess, that, thanks, right, I mean, I guess that's the issue. I mean, some people would say, okay, that's the principal's job, and, you know, if, if the principal, in her discretion, feels the child is so out of control, that's that's what you do. Let's talk to Mary in Greenfield. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Mary. Okay, lost Mary there. I think Mary was going to ask about, you know, why, why didn't they call the parents? My understanding is, my understanding is the mother could not be reached. They, they called the mother. They tried to call the mother. The mother couldn't be reached, and so Plan B was to call the call the police after this. And again, I, I does it sound ridiculous? Yes, it sounds ridiculous. But you know, what's the old Pogo line? We we have met the enemy, and he is us. This is the environment that we have created, and I'm not endorsing brutality against children by school officials and yes i understand you have situations where teachers aides go over the top or some teachers go over the top when i understand that you have a situation where you probably should never lay hands on kids but at the same time if you're not going to allow at least some leeway when it comes to this this is what you're going to get you're going to get you know 911 on many occasions um al and brown deer al you're on 620 wtmj good morning Good morning. My wife's been a teacher in Milwaukee Public Schools for 39 years, almost all of them with kindergartners. Mm-hmm. And her school has a no-restraint policy. The teachers cannot hold or grab or restrain the kids. Right. And she had to break up a fight last year between two kids, and she was kicked in the abdomen. And they have a school security person. He came in, and he tried to grab the kid, and he was scratched in his cornea and had to go out for the rest of the week. Okay, these are kinder. Just so we're all clear, these are kindergartners you're talking about. Yes, four and five year olds. Okay, four and five year olds. Your wife goes up to break out of break up a fight. She gets kicked in the abdomen. The security officer gets scr- a scratched cornea. Okay, yes. <laughs> wow, wow. So, it, bottom line is, in cases like that, there, there's nothing else you really can do other than call the cops, huh? No, and the kindergartners realize that the teachers can't touch them, and the kids will run out of the room, and she cannot go chase them down and bring them back. You have to use treats or something like a dog to entice <laughs> them to come back to the room. <laughs> okay, because she can't leave the room, presumably because there's all the other kids in the room. You can't leave them by themselves, so she can't go chasing after kin- the kindergartner. Well, she can chase after them, but she can't grab them and bring them back by the arm or hold them. There's no restraint policy. I, she deserves more money, Al. She deserves more money. That's all I can say to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, really, but that, that's, again, that's why those are the types of stories that are there because you think it's ridiculous to call 911, and I get it, but still. Jackie in Sheboygan. Jackie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. So I'm a substitute teacher um, in several school districts in the Sheboygan County area, and one of them has something that I haven't seen anywhere else. And that is a padded room Oh, that is kind of a, yeah, it's next to the library. And they have it, um, if a child, like, loses it and they are completely 
you know, they're they're inconsolable. They're right. acting out. They're hitting. They're punching. They're kicking. Um, they are brought to that room, and there has to be a supervisor in that room. Somebody has to stay, and it's usually teacher's aide. Right. Um, but that child is closed in that room with that teacher's aide, and they can kick and scream and fight as long as they don't hit the person, you know, that's with them. They can freak out in that room. And huh. I have walked past that room many times and have heard kids, literally, you can hear them screaming in the hallway. Wow. And it's kind of, I mean, when I went to Catholic school growing up, I mean, literally, sister took us by the ear. <laughs> yeah, oh, ab- absolutely. Or, or, or you're probably looking at your knuckles from, from that, those rulers and stuff, from the good exactly. sisters. You know? it's, a, it's, Jackie, thanks for calling. It, it's quite a world. It's just quite a world. So I understand. It's a ridiculous headline. She called the cops. But still, there's there's another side to this story. 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. A lot of great stuff coming up. Don't go anywhere. 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. Let's go where angels fear to tread. The Department of Homeland Security has just come out with a sweeping set of orders. Regarding immigration issues, um, Donald Trump has announced that he will be supporting funding to hire thousands of more immigration officials. This would be like customs people, border patrol agents, things like that. This is independent of the wall that he's talking about. But there, these are new guidelines that are being issued, and they are getting a ton of attention. These These memos essentially take the position of what part of illegal don't you understand? The Department of Homestead Security, for example, these memos instruct agents, including customs and border protection, as well as immigration officials, to identify, capture, and quickly deport every undocumented immigrant they encounter. The memos require undocumented immigrants caught entering the country to be placed in detention until their cases are resolved. The memos increase the ability of local police to help in immigration enforcement. Like I said, call for the hiring of 10,000 more immigration agents and allow planning to begin on the wall. The memos, and here's the key right now, um, essentially call for the law to be enforced. It makes undocumented immigrants who have been convicted of a crime the highest priority for enforcement operations. But it also makes clear that if immigration agents should arrest, that, that if they come across other undocumented immigrants, they are also d- directed to arrest and initiate deportation. So in other words, you know, the priority is the people that have criminal records that are in this country. Out, out of the 11 million people illegally here, concentrate. We want you to concentrate on the one or two million or however many people have criminal records and are still here. But they make clear that if you come into contact with other undocumented immigrants, you are to arrest and initiate deportation procedures. One memo reads, Department personnel have full authority to arrest or apprehend an alien whom an immigration officer has probable cause to believe in violation of the immigration laws. In other words, you're in this country illegally. They also have full authority to initiate removal proceedings against any alien who's subject to removal under any provision of the immigration law. These, um, this is a blueprint. This is, it, it, these memos are a blueprint essentially of, for what Donald Trump talked about, which is, you know, we're, we're going to deal with the immigration problem by enforcing the law. Now, of course, you saw, you, you saw the pushback to this. I mean, last week you had the Day Without Immigrants. Of course, the Day Without Immigrants March 
was essentially a call for open borders. You know, the, the people that are with the, the pro, pro-immigration pro forces, they don't want the laws enforced. They don't think that there should be borders. They don't think people should be stopped from coming into this country legally or illegally. And once you get into this country, they don't think that they should be deported. So you, you've got this whole open borders thing. Donald Trump has gone completely the other way. These orders now say we're going to hire more agents and we are going to aggressively enforce the law. Immigration agents, if you come across people who are in this country illegally, you are directed to detain and initiate deportation procedures. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. What do you think about this? Is this the way to go about this situation? Should Donald Trump continue the, hey, we're not going to enforce the law, we're going to look the other way on these type of things, or is he right to say, we're going to go the other way? We are going to, for the moment, we're going to enforce the law, and again, we're going to concentrate on people who have committed crimes, but agents don't have to turn a blind eye if they come across somebody who's in this country illegally, even if they don't have a criminal record, they should detain and initiate deportation. What do you think about Trump's policy? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. We discuss next. It's 1113. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1116. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The big news coming out of Washington this morning is consistent with Trump's campaign promises. Uh, there's now new memos which essentially say we're going to hire more immigration officials and immigration laws are now going to be enforced. The priority is in trying to identify people who are in, here this country, in this country illegally who have criminal records. But the order is to immigration officers, if you come across somebody who is in this country illegally, you are directed to detain them and initiate deportation procedures. Is Trump right to do this? Judy in Brookfield. Judy, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, is the president doing the right thing? I absolutely believe he is. It's time. There's My biggest problem is all the free help, in quotes, that illegal immigrants are receiving. Mm-hmm. It's just beyond me. I, I went to Social Security when my husband passed away. I was 48 years old. They told me I was too young to be a widow, yet there were pamphlets in the Social Security office. If you are an illegal alien, come see us. We can help you. Yeah. Rent assistance, food assistance, uh, monthly checks, to, you know, benefit checks to help you get on your feet. Yeah. But I didn't qualify. Me, a living, breathing U.S. Right. citizen, born and raised, putting money into Social Security, I couldn't get any help. Yeah, so you had to wait till like 60 years old or something like that, I think. is 62 the way that, years right. old, yes. But illegal, illegal aliens were getting help. Yeah. So, it's, just, it's not right. Well, I mean, thanks to the call, Judy. I mean, here's the deal. I, I, I think the priority needs to be on identifying and concentrating on, on deporting the, the, the criminal element, how, however big that criminal element is. And, and so at the same time, though, I mean, you do have the, the law. And the law says you're not allowed to be in this country illegal. You're not allowed to be in this country without permission. And this idea that we're going to suddenly tell immigration agents to turn a blind eye to this is just absolutely crazy to me. Now, I do think Congress should get together with the president and we should be able to figure out some 
not path to citizenship, but some, maybe a path to some form of legal residency from people who have been in this country for a long period of time and and who aren't creating problems. So, I mean, I, I do think you need to do that. But until you do that, I think you have to, and this is maybe a naive concept, I think you have to enforce the law. Again, it's all about priorities. The priority should be on identifying what did Trump use the phrase? I mean, bad hombre, hombres or whatever. You're identifying people of criminal records who are causing the, the most problems. But at the same time, you know, if, if you've got immigration officials that get word that, hey, three people have just been arrested on, on whatever, and they're in this country illegally, regardless of whether they have a criminal record or not, I don't think you can just turn around and let them go back out on the streets. And that has been what's been happening too often. Dick and Grafton. Dick, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Well, Jeff. First of all, we're a nation of laws, and I don't think you can pick and choose yeah. what laws you want to enforce and what you don't. If you don't want to enforce the law, let's take it off the book. Notice that I didn't answer the question you had originally asked. The point I want to make now is that the reason we're at where we're at is because the Democrats and the Republicans have not dealt with the issue the last 25 or 30 yep. years. It has been a political football. It is disgusting. Uh, Obama and the Democrats had the supermajority for, what was it, two years or four years? Two years, yep. First two years, yep. Certainly, during that time period, they were working on a lot of stuff. But they could have tried to come up and put through their own immigration bill. I don't think, I don't know what happened. Then we had a, a point where you had a Democratic president and you had a split country. Yep, you still there, Dick? Um, situation. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm sorry, Dick. Your your cell phone is is cutting out on us a little bit. I right. I I do think there needs to be a legislative solution. I I agree. We have to. The the big picture here is whether or not the law that says everybody that came into this country illegally, including people who have been in this country illegally for a long period of time, define a long period of time, however you want. Um, everybody needs to be tossed out. That, that's what we have to, that's what the law says right now, and that's what we have to come to grips with. We, do we really mean that? You know, we've talked about this before in the show. I mean, what, what is that going to do? You know, what, how is that going to affect agriculture in parts of this country? How is it going to affect dairy farming in Wisconsin, for example, if we start to aggressively try to determine, you know, who's in these different jobs? And, and what is that, that going to mean? Are there really Americans who will do some of these jobs? And I don't, I'm not smart enough to know all the answers to that type of stuff, but I do think we need to have that conversation. But as I've always maintained, while that conversation is going on, you can't and you should not ignore the law. Should you have priorities? Yeah, the priorities are always or should be on trying to identify, again, the people who are creating the problems. But as long as it's the law... You can't tell law enforcement to turn uh, to turn a blind eye. That is what is so frustrating to me about the whole sanctuary city notion. This concept that this this concept that well, you know, individual cities can direct law enforcement don't cooperate with federal officials. You know, we don't care what the federal law is. You know, we're not going to pay attention to it. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, touchy, 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 touchy yeah. subject. I got to tell you, I, I do have some friends that have been here. Uh, illegally for a number of years, uh, law-abiding citizens. Um, and how, how, do you, how do you toss those people out just because they came in here 20 years ago illegally 
because whatever the, whatever the reason was, whatever the system was, that they couldn't get in here legally, and so they crossed the border. Now they set up shop here. They have, you know, kids who are citizens because they were born here. Right. Now you split up these families and let them go. Now it's one thing to do with criminals. If they have a record, they're on in jail now. They have a record. Post those damn bonds. Yes. Oh, secure the border. Absolutely. All these people, the influx of all these illegals yeah. coming in now. That's that. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got to let you go too. We, the second cell phone in a row, the, the, the signal wasn't good. And, and you, you were talking about touchy, touchy, touchy. And I, that's why I would say prioritize it. And that's why, again, if, if I were the king, I would be trying to figure out, and again, I don't think it's a path to citizenship. I, I don't, I don't think if you come into this country illegally, you should be able to benefit by, by becoming a citizen. There's a difference, though, between a path to citizenship and a path to permanent residency. And part of the problem is also, if you've been in this country illegally and you leave, right now it's almost impossible. If you've been in this country illegally for, let's say, 10 years, you voluntarily go back to Mexico. And then you try to get a green card or you try to get a visa to come back. You're, you're automatic, almost automatically going to be told no since you were here illegally in the first place. That might be something – see, that might be something that I would look at. All right, if you leave the country – and then could, should we make it easier for you to come back? Should we say, okay, you're going to be able to get a green card, you're going to be able to get a visa, whatever that might be. I, I do think we need to look at some of those those different options for that situation that, that, you're, that you're talking about. But at the same time, it, it is the law. And I don't know that there's any country in the world, in the world, outside of maybe some third or fourth or fifth world countries, that does not enforce their immigration law. I mean, serious. I have to imagine that if you're in, if you're in Great Britain or you're in Australia or you're in New Zealand or you're in France or you're in Spain and you're in that country illegally and you, you just come into contact with the, the local officials, I gotta believe that, of course, you know, you're going to be deported. You're going to be sent back. You're not just going to be allowed to stay. So why, why should the United States be something, you know, different than that? Let's talk to um, Jeff in Jefferson. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, um, I have to comment on something you said. That we need to have this conversation. I think you were talking about mm-hmm. farm workers or something. Um, you know, I'd say the majority of us, 60 to 70 percent of the citizens of this country, were tired of having this conversation mm-hmm. for the last 30 years. Yep. Now, maybe he needs to come out and say, you got six months to get your affairs in order and then we're going to aggressively enforce the law in this country. Uh, no other country on the earth would give you the breaks that we... Right. Why is it our responsibility to take care of the rest of the world? Right, right. And, and no other country in the world would ignore immigration laws and just say, okay, since you're here and since, you know, Jeff, you've, you've man- you're in Spain and you've managed to hang out in Spain illegally for five or six years, here, we're going to just let you stay. No other country in the world, I think, would do that. I say I say we aggressively enforce our laws. Mm-hmm. But That's you would you would maybe give a but you would give maybe a sort of a grace period. So okay, you know we're going to give you a couple months to kind of get your affairs in orders order, and then after after May first, you know anybody caught is going to be sent back. Well, I get it. I get okay. it. You know, if you've been here twenty years, you've built the life. You've probably got kids here, right? Um, but it, it you got to enforce the law. At some no. point, the tough choices have to be made, and Look, give them time to get their affairs in order, but we we got to set a hard date here. I mean, okay. this this has to stop. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Again, then maybe that's 
And one of the ways you could deal with this in broader terms, like I say, is people who have been in this country illegally for a lengthy period of time, you could allow them to self-deport with the idea that if if they would have otherwise qualified for a green card, you, you would give them a green card so maybe they could come back in legally. Right now, like I say, it's almost impossible to do that. Um, some way to get them, get people registered, get people in this system legally, all sorts of different ways. But, I mean, I think – I mean, one of the things that that President Trump was elected on, despite, you know, last week's protests about a day without immigrants and let's have open borders. I mean, one of the things that he ran on was a a crackdown on immigration. Candidly, when I look at this, this I've never been a big fan of building the wall. I always thought that should be like a metaphor. But he's still going ahead with that. I would rather see money spent on things like this. Let's let's hire more agents. Let, let's be more aggressive in this type of thing. Do I think it is possible to deport 11 million people who are in this country illegally? No. But do I think it's possible to crack down? Yes. And while we're working on figuring out what, what plan B is going to be with regard to people who are in this country illegally, I do think you have to enforce the law. Just saying. 1127, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I wanted to mention uh, political intrigue up in Green Bay. The very controversial mayor of Green Bay, Jim Schmidt, uh, came within one vote of being removed um, Monday night after his four-hour hearing. The council voted 9-3 to to find that there was cause to remove him. Again, after the hearing, he had gotten caught up in um, some campaign finance issues, and, and the long knives were out for him. There, there's no question about it. You had a lot of the political opponents who were looking to get rid of him, and they were trying to use this, this, these campaign finance problems to, as a way of doing it. There, there's nothing about the campaign finance stuff that affected the way he was doing his job as a mayor. In, in all honesty, I, I think if you want to remove an official, Public, other public officials should be very, very wary about doing that. If the public thinks that somebody has violated their trust, that the best way to go about it is the, these things like recalls. I, I'm looking at you know, all these people. David Clark should step down. David Clark should be tossed out. We're sending letters to Scott Walker demanding David Clark. Go ahead. If you think David Clark's that unpopular, start a recall. Lord knows we know how to start recalls in Wisconsin. That's the same thing in Green Bay. If they really think that uh, Jim Schmidt has lost the public's trust, well, you, you can do a recall. In any event, he, he survives as mayor, but only by one vote. It's 1136, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, quick reminder, today is, today is election day. There is a statewide primary election to... Select the two candidates who are going to run in April to be the state superintendent of schools. It's mostly a figurehead position now. I mean, maybe you could have made an argument that a while back that that job mattered. Now it's mostly state superintendent of schools goes out and, you know, talks to teachers and things like that. But it is the one statewide position still held by a Democrat, even though it's a nonpartisan office. Uh, Tony Evers, who's the current state superintendent of schools, is is, a... is a um, big-time big time Democrat. He's been elected since 2009. He's the incumbent. He will probably definitely come through the primary today. Um, this Lowell Holtz is, is really the, the, the conservative who's running. I don't know too much about the other guy, but I, I, I think he's 
I don't know too much about the other guy. I voted this morning for whatever it's worth. I voted for Holtz. So um be interesting to see how the whole thing ends up um, playing out. But my guess is those two will emerge from the primary. Again, it's mostly a figurehead sort of job, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. All right. Some lawmakers in Madison are requiring that when the Department of Transportation wants to wants to create a project, do it to a road project, what they ha- would have to do is when they estimate the costs of like road and bridge projects, they would have to include factors such as inflation in, in their estimates to give a realistic idea of what something's going to cost. And you know what? This is a, it's a great idea. Uh, it's a great idea. When you take out a mortgage, or when you take out a consumer loan, you buy a car. You know, you all the and mixed in all that paperwork that that you get is is a statement of what the cost, what the carrying cost, what the cost of financing the the, the vehicle is going to be. So you say you're buying a car, you know, for for twenty thousand dollars, and you've taken out the, the again the car loan, and you're paying three and a half percent, whatever you're paying. For, I don't know what car loans are going for right now, but you're paying whatever it is. And you get the breakdown saying, okay, this is what the cost is. This is how much interest you will pay over the course of the loan. So you get the idea of the real cost of of the project. And that's required under the law. I think that would be a very, very good thing for the Department of Transportation to have to live under those same sort of rules. In essence, saying, okay, we're going to do a project. And the project we're budgeting, it's going to cost $40 million. But that's $40 million in today's money. The project's going to be stretched out over seven, eight, nine, ten years or whatever it is. So you're going to have inflation that kicks in. You're going to have interesting interest costs. You have all those carrying costs. At least, again, when you buy that car, you want to know how much the thing is going to cost, and you are told that. I think from the perspective of lawmakers and taxpayers, it would be good to require the DOT to stay to those same standards. So. This is a bill whose um, idea might have come. All right, Wegman's food chain. I don't. Wegman's Wegman's is a is a big East Coast grocery chain. It, it's based out of Rochester, New York, but they, they have they have big grocery stores up and down the East Coast. I don't think I don't think that there's I don't think there's Wegman's west of Pennsylvania. Could be wrong, but but it's it's a big East Coast grocery store. Wegman's, like many of these stores, has a big liquor department. And in their liquor department, one of the things they do is they carry wines from the Trump winery. What happened was, a few years back, Donald Trump, through, through his corporations, um, found this, this winery that was going broke in, like, Charlottesville, Virginia. And so what Trump did is, I think because he really, he wanted the land more than anything else, he went in and he bought, he bought, the land. He, he bought the winery, and he bought it with the idea that, okay, maybe I'm going to develop this or something. He said, I was interested in, in good real estate, not so much wine. But he ended up keeping the people that were running the winery, and they reconverted this winery from what it was into this Trump brand wine. And now I have not had Trump brand wine. so I have no position on it, but I'm, I'm told that lots and lots of people like it. And now the winery is successful and it's turning a profit. And you've got lots of these people who were working there who would have otherwise lost their jobs who continue to be employed. And this might be one of the Trump success stories. Well, 
because some people hate Donald Trump, the idea has been let's take our hatred of Donald Trump out on the businesses. Let's let's demand that Nordstrom's not sell Ivanka Trump's line of clothing. And Nordstrom decided to give in. Nordstrom bowed to pressure. Well, what happened is over the last few days, again, this wine has it's kind of got a in some respect, maybe like a cult following. But what what happened was you had a number of activists, for example, 300 members of the Prince Williams County chapter of the National Organization for Women, our friends at NOW, calling on locals to boycott Wegmans food markets up and down the East Coast unless the company agreed to remove Trump winery wines at its various stores. Now, the first protest was directed at the 10 Wegmans in Virginia. So they said, okay, we're calling on women, women of Virginia, unite, let's let's boycott Wegmans unless unless they pull the, the Trump wine. And, of course, the Trump vineyard is located in Charlottesville, Virginia, and did I mention it employs all sorts of people? Well, and I'm, I'm just looking at some of the comments. Um, the president of the National Organization of Women, Terry O'Neill, said, certainly if Wegmans is carrying Trump wine, I would support a, a boycott. Let's demonstrate through economic action that the residents and business owners of Charlottesville will not stand for the hatred espoused by Donald Trump, Eric Trump, the son who now runs the business, and those like him. All right. So, again, more and more people who are out there, you know, say, oh, we got to do this. We're, we're going to, we're going to demand, we're going to demand that they remove these things. Well, here's what happened. After the call went out to boycott Trump wines, in the last several days, these stores did not give in to the pressure. Instead, continued carrying Trump wines. And you know what happened? They sold out of Trump wines because people responded to the threat of boycotts and bullying by saying, okay, we're going to vote with our pocketbook. And for every you know crazy now member that's out there saying, we're going to try to punish Donald Trump by, by not shopping at this particular store – Apparently, there were a lot of people that ran to the store and they bought the product, which is, I think, what happens frequently in these cases. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, I think individually, you know, obviously people have the right to make choices as to how they spend their money. There's some places that I won't shop because I don't like something about this or that or, or, or the other. You know, and you have certainly some businesses around here, um, the most notable one probably being the crazy lefty uh, that runs Penzi Spices, who, you know, integrates his business plan in with his politics and sends out all these crazy, like, newsletters talking about how evil the Republicans are and things like that. And, and I think for a lot of us, now, I've never called for an organized boycott of Penzi Spices. I personally won't go in and I won't shop there, but, I've never encouraged other people to do that. So obviously individuals get to make choices about how they're going to spend their money. But these organized efforts at boycotting, National Organization of Women saying, we should not, we encourage you, everybody in Virginia, stop shopping at X store because they carry a Trump product. Do those, do organized boycotts like this ever work? Or is there a boomerang effect that just like at Wegmans over the weekend, you've got now that tries to organize the boycott, and what happens is people people flock to buy the stuff. 
Do organized boycotts ever work? And how should people respond when they're directed at Trump products? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. We discuss next. It's 1145. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1148, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We've been having problems with cell phones today. People calling in, the cell phone connections are just lousy. So, you know, that's the problem. We can't put you on the air. Maybe there's something in the atmosphere. Can't put you on the air if the cell phone connection is, is bad. This this effort to try to boycott, we're going to boycott Wegmans Grocery Stores, which are an East Coast chain because, uh, the, you know, they have Donald, Donald Trump wine. It didn't work last weekend in Virginia. And the fact of the matter is, it almost never works. We have seen this play out locally. Remember when you had the kooks who were going after Johnsonville brats? For example, Johnsonville, they support Scott Walker. Well, here, here, we're, we're going to boycott them. Well, what happened? Johnsonville brats sales went, Johnsonville sales went up. There was the other pizza place, the pizza company that I'm drawing a blank on right now. Same sort of thing. We're, we're going to go after them. And so, you know, what, what happened, the activists went and remember they were trying to like take the pizzas, the frozen pizzas out of the cases at folks at places and, and trying to lean on some of these stores. Costco, don't carry this particular pizza. Well, well, that didn't work. You saw it play out locally. Palermo's. Remember when you had the activists that wanted to go after Palermo's because heaven, heaven forbid they were, they were not rehiring people who they weren't legally allowed to hire. So you, this, this boycott that gets launched there. And it never, ever, ever works because what happens is people of goodwill respond by saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to be pushed around by, again, those folks that are out there trying to use economic pressure to advance their particular political agenda as opposed to maybe a social uh, agenda. They just simply do not work. And I think the more and more blowback that, for example, Donald Trump gets from organizations like now and these efforts, I, candidly, I think it's going to be the best thing that you see for 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 these brands because, again, people respond. Now, I understand individually, if you decide you, you don't want to shop at a particular place, my late wife refused to shop at Walmart. She, she had issues with Walmart, but she wasn't out there calling for boycotts of Walmart. She just used... No, that that was her individual position, and that's the position that she took. Randy in Heartland. Randy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Do these boycotts ever work? No, they do not, because I uh, I consider you the best salesman for Palermo's ever, because <laughs> when you uh, started the boycott, right. uh, my wife and I had never bought Palermo's pizzas up until then, and we have been buying them ever since. Right. Yeah, and, and actually, they're really good pizzas. I, I'm not trying to give a free commercial for Palermo's, but they really are good. Well, well, right, and and that was the idea. The idea is for every every person that's out there saying, "Don't do this, don't spend your money there." Well, there's all sorts of other people who say, "Hey, we're we're gonna we're gonna do this, and we're not gonna be pushed around." And so you you gave Palermo's a chance, and so now they're one of your frozen pizzas of choice, huh? They really are, you know. And and if I lived out east, and they said I couldn't buy this, I would. I'd, I'd, Give it a shot. Is it good, bad, or indifferent? Let me make that decision. Right. Because, yeah. you, know, you know, we're all Americans. We get to choose and decide. You know, and I know they all hate Donald Trump and that's the thing, but we all chose Donald Trump electorally to be our president. That's it. 
Well, right. And this idea that we're going to try to hurt him, we're going to try to hurt these stores that are selling Trump products as a way of hurting him. I mean, you almost want to say get a life. I mean, the reality is, okay, Palermo's might be a little different. Donald Trump, I I think, okay, here's what happens. If people don't buy the wine, he shuts down the winery, uh, lots of people lose their jobs, and then he develops the, the, the land. I mean, I get the impression the winery almost might be a loss leader. So all you're really doing is hurting the people that work at the winery. Real good thinking, National Organization of Women. Correct. Yeah. Correct. No, thanks to go. That's right. Bicot. I, I remember all that with the Pope Palermo's thing. It was just, and you know, you've seen this before. Chick fil A. Remember all the attention that, oh, heaven forbid, Chick fil A. These people are religious. These people close on Sundays. These people uh, believe that, you know, marriage is between a man and a woman. Oh, how terrible. Because that's what their religion teaches them. Oh, how terrible these people are. Let's not shop it. Let's not, st- you know, go to Chick fil A. Well, last time I checked. Hobby Lobby was doing real well. Last time I checked, Chick-fil-A still had lines because the food is really, really good. Now, I mean, you, you have these groups that it makes them feel good by saying let's organize the, these this organized boycotts and let's try to put pressure on people publicly not to carry brands associated with people that we don't like. My, my advice is, first of all, when you see that, that's motivation to go out and buy the stuff. And just like our last caller was doing, try those Palermo pizzas and you know, help out, do the boycott, but th- these organized efforts really I mean get a life. Eleven fifty three. We'll find out what's coming up on WTMJ today in just a couple minutes. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's eleven fifty six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. We're coming to that point in time where I don't have to go home, but he, but I can't stay here because. We've got WTMJ today, at least for another week. And then after that, of course, it is the debut of Scafidi and Bilstadt. We announced that earlier today. Um, That doesn't start till next week, but we have a a preview. Eric Bilstadt. Hello. Hello. You and my dear friend Tracy Johnson, my regular... My regular guest on WTMJ Weekly. You guys are the team today. You can hear her on Fridays with you. She's joining us today. Great show up ahead. Uh, One of the stories that... Is getting some attention. Uh, CBS 58 had the story about a couple of pit bulls in Heartland that attacked another dog. And now the neighborhood is upset that these pit bulls are still there, that they weren't euthanized, they weren't taken away. Nothing has really happened. So what do you do in a case like this? This has happened before where a dog has attacked another dog. You, You hear that from time to time. In this case, should those dogs be put down? Can I give you some advice? Just prepare. I Because I, I this is... I am very sensitive. I've, I've know, talked about oh, this topic for years where the pit bull, and then, then you had all the pit bull lovers that call up and mm-hmm. say, oh, little Fluffy would never hurt anybody. They're wonderful. Uh, just be prepared. I, whenever I do these topics, I get hate me email from all over the world. I mean, all over the world. Don't you understand? This is a wonderful breed. I would have no question leaving my four-year-old grandson alone with these things. And with, and, and it does it does, I think, partially relate to how they're brought up. But at the same time, my little my little Pomeranian, if, if I've never seen her bite, but if she would bite, it's it's a stitch. You know, a pit bull bites <laughs> and you're in the it's emergency a, room or the morgue. Thing. Yeah, so we have that on the plate. Also, this whole daylight saving time bill. Saving, singular, daylight saving, yes. yes. So what's fascinating about this bill is that basically we would spring ahead and then we would never fall back. Right. So that's the, that's what this bill would suggest. It's circulating right now in Madison couple of key questions that we are going to go through that I don't think people are realizing. You think this is all great. Hey, we'll have more sun. 
there's some changes to your life if you stay on daylight saving time all year round, only in Wisconsin, and we're going to tell you about that. Interesting. Plus, of course, what do you do with the kids that are standing out at the bus stops in the, the dead of winter and mm-hmm. the incredibly dark night? All right. That's all coming so up. That's coming up. All right. Stay tuned. WTMJ today. I am out of time. Check out the podcast page. We've got the podcast. Lots of people are downloading it, and I appreciate it. I am out of time, but like I say, back 8.30 tomorrow morning when we do this all again. It is 63 degrees outside. Enjoy the day. Stick around for WTMJ today, 1159. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.